Hello, I'm Mike Baselli, and this is episode 18 of Passionate Pioneers. In this episode, we learn from a highly trained prosthetist about the functional challenges that come with injury and amputation and how he is bringing renewed hope to the many lives he serves. Eric Neufeld is a founder and chief prosthetist of Agile Orthopedics, a mobile prosthetic and orthotic service that combines experience, empathy, and cutting-edge technology by utilizing innovation, skill, and compassion to better serve patients in need. During this episode, Eric shared his professional journey of working in the industry and seeing an opportunity to innovate care delivery for patients needing prosthetic services by bringing the services to them. Eric also highlighted the moment he convinced his wife that he wanted to start his own company and the anxiety of leaving a corporate job and jumping off the entrepreneurial cliff. Most importantly, he passionately discusses the inspirational stories of the life-changing impact that his company is bringing to so many. Before we learn from Eric, I want to honor him and his team for recognizing an opportunity to serve the injured around us and his passion to restore hope and ability for these community members. Our conversation became very emotional, and I'm confident you will feel it while listening to this episode. It is my hope you will support Eric and his team while on their journey as they work to expand their reach and servitude across our nation. Welcome to Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli, where we highlight and speak with the innovators, the game changers, and the pioneers who are deeply passionate and relentless in solving the problems our world is facing today. This is your opportunity to connect with and learn from these leaders and to support them on their mission. Perhaps they will soon be hearing your story as well. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you on this journey with us. Eric, welcome to our podcast being recorded at Halo Creative Labs, located inside of Angel MD's headquarters here at Catalyst, our healthcare innovation campus in downtown Denver. Thank you for having me. Eric, it's great to have you here today. I'm thankful to have you on this podcast as I'm so encouraged by what you and your team have built at Agile Orthopedics and the ways you are serving amputee patients in our communities. Today's episode is going to be a stimulating conversation as I know you have come to the podcast studio with many real world patient success stories to share with us and what that means to the community members you are serving. Before we dive into today's uh, story and the lives you are impacting at Agile Orthopedics, a bit of housekeeping. For our audience, while listening to any of our episodes, please make sure to visit the episode notes to share feedback and ideas with our guests via our guest feedback form link and to nominate other passionate pioneers for a future episode via our guest nomination form link. And lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast so you will automatically receive episode updates in your podcast player. Simply search Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli on iTunes or Spotify. All right, Eric, before we jump in and discuss Agile Orthopedics and the lives you're touching, let's take a moment to break the ice a bit. I'm going to have you randomly select one of the three questions, and we'll take it from there. All right. How about... Go in the bottom one. Favorite meal. Okay. All right. So, what is your favorite meal and why? Well, if there are mussels and fries on a menu, I'm going to order it. Like French fries? Yeah, like mussels and fries. Like that combination meal, I'm going to order that. Even if I'm full, I'm going to order it. Mussels and fries. How come? 
it's delicious. Uh, <laughs> it and is. it's just this perfectly balanced meal. And uh, I can't resist it if I see it. What do you drink with mussels and fries? Like a beer would be yeah, the right yeah. the right thing to drink with that. So we were recently over, our, our team at Burst IQ were recently over in uh, London, United Kingdom for a business meeting. And we had mussels in beer. They were like steamed in beer. Yeah. And then, of course, had a nice uh, a beer with it. It was fantastic. And, of course, it came with French fries. There you go. So, mussels and fries. All right. Well, let's go ahead and dive in, Eric. Again, so grateful to have you here today. I want to take it back, though, uh, what you're doing in regards to bringing the opportunity for amputee patients and community members and, and the hope and the opportunity for them to restore their life is incredibly impactful. But obviously, a company like yours just doesn't pop out of thin air. How did you get to where you are today with Agile Orthopedics? And of course, we'll dive into where you are with the organization today. But rewind the clock for us. Set the stage. How did you get to where you are today? Sure. So I trained as a prosthetic engineer, a prosthetist, orthotist. Got to be about almost 20 years now. And um, my career was really based on working for traditional outpatient practices. You know, picture a standard kind of conventional doctor's office style model. And uh, most recently, I took a position with a company and um, when I moved to Denver. And what I noticed over time, and I, I was responsible for the P&L and responsible for reporting certain metrics. And one of them that I recognized was a huge growing no-show rate. So uh, patients that would not show up. And it got to be 30, 40%, even up to 50%, like wow. in the, the last part of the year, the, the fourth quarter where maybe the weather was a factor. And this was affecting the P&L, truly affecting the business. We couldn't get patients in the door in order to provide them with the devices that we designed and built for them. And only at that point can you bill the insurance company for those devices once they're actually fit with it. So this was a real problem. I started to dig into that a little bit and realized the reasons for it are clear and simple to understand. You know, they are disabled, profoundly disabled, which makes it very difficult to get around, to get to appointments financial constraints are another big issue. It's expensive to take time off uh, to travel to appointments or your family member has to take time off to get you there. And so these were just the honest, understandable reasons people couldn't make it. And I dug deep and kind of thought about the culture that we're living in, you know, aside from Uber and Amazon Prime and the, the culture of convenience. I was inspired by Bloom Healthcare and Dispatch Health, you know, things that are bringing services to people. That's what we're able to do and we expect and we're beginning to expect more and more. And I came up with this concept of a mobile practice and started to think about the elements that would be required to see people to provide prosthetics in their home or on site. And uh, I went from there. Oh, we're obviously going to dive into that and, and talk more about the, the mobile care you're bringing. But I'm still curious. I, I want to go back even further. How does one become a prosthetist? Did I say that correctly? Congratulations. Did, did yeah, I nail it? Is, did uh, I nail it? <laughs> um, you did, which is I've very been, unusual. I've, so during my prep for this podcast, I was practicing that word. So yeah. prosthetist it is. But how did you become a prosthetist? Well, yeah. So, uh, you know, in our, in our field, many prosthetists are amputees themselves, and that's how they're exposed to the field to begin with, or maybe their parent or sibling or whatever. That's not my story, but it is for many people. Yeah. I was just introduced to this field, but I found somebody who did this and thought I would check it out. I was sort of like a little bit lost after college, not really sure what I was going to do forever, but I did enjoy 
making things. Like at the time I was doing kitchens and bathrooms. I mm. just was doing home renovations and I loved it. I still love it actually. So I was attracted to the fabrication technical side of it. And that's what I pursued. And then once I was exposed to the medical, the clinical part of it, seeing patients, working with patients directly, that really spoke to me. And I knew that's that's what I wanted to do. So I know you you did your undergraduate work at the University of Wisconsin, which is um, a, a little bit of a, a sore spot for me. Oh, yeah. Well, we we lost to them. I played football at, at Stanford and we lost to them in the in the Rose Bowl many years ago. Leather helmet days way back in the day. So <laughs> um, so when you were at, when you were in Madison University, of Wisconsin, this was not on the radar for you no at, at all. No clue. Wow. Not even remotely. So you go, you, you graduate, like you said, you're lost a little bit, like a lot of us are after yeah. college. You go and you're remodeling. Um, are there a lot of these prosthetist programs across the country? How did you find it? How did that come about? There are not. There are only a few, uh, maybe six or seven oh, wow. programs in the country. And, um, you know, it's like anything. Once you sort of get interested in it, maybe it's not like anything, but it was in this case where I just was all in. And so found out every single thing you needed to know about how do I become a prosthetist. And so researching the program, the educational part of it, the academic part of it, and then following that, there are re you have to go through a formal residency uh, program before you're eligible for board, you know, being board certified and licensed and things like that. So understanding what's involved in all of those. And really, for me, I was focused on finding kind of the best environment for that, uh, for me to really succeed and, and pursue what I was passionate about. Wow, that is that is a, a great story, a great history lesson as well. So I've just learned a little bit about how to become a prosthetist. So <laughs> learn something new every day. Sure. So let's kind of now go. Um, so you saw that opportunity, let's kind of start getting getting into kind of the current state of, of agile orthopedics, you started to see this opportunity, you're seeing these incredibly high show rate or no show rates, I mean, 40%. That's, that's incredibly high. What happened next? Yes, you saw the opportunity. We have a lot of entrepreneurs listening in. What happens next, right? That jumping off the cliff. So again, I was working for a, a company, you know, a large national based company. Um, and I pitched the idea of a mobile practice. Let's get some mobile units, some sprinter vans, let's upfit them and go to people's homes and reduce this rate and provide this kind of next level of service. And uh, they were not interested. To their credit, it was because their whole model was based on an outpatient where there's a front desk and a lab in the back and technicians. It just didn't align with them. Quick time out on that though. What, what year was that for context, right? Because as you said, you framed it up earlier, you do have companies like Dispatch Health and Pager and sure. others bringing back that house call and it's starting to become more, it's becoming normalized in, in the marketplace. When did you pitch that to the large established org? Same time frame as you saw these health, mobile healthcare uh, services emerging. So three, five 13, years? 14, 2013, 2014. Oh, wow. And then, you know, really looking at my options and, you know, collaborating and with, with my family and my wife, I, uh, I just decided to take the leap. And that was in 16, 2016 and, um, self-funded bootstrap kind of thing and bought, bought the first mobile clinic and started to really design it and, and kind of form this practice and this company. We're going to go into that in just a moment, but let's still go back to the history lesson there. So you mm -hmm. pitch it to this large established organization. Obviously, you're in a very stable role. You're, you're trained. Um, they said no, but and you started kind of talking about it a little bit. 
what were some of the reasons why? Because they already had the brick and mortar. They already had the, right. Explain that a bit more. Well, I, I think there are a few reasons. I yeah. can, and I, some of them, I just have to speculate on the reasons because it was kind of a hard no. Sure. Um, but I think that the model supports this brick and mortar outpatient practice that everything's built around. So it's a little bit easier to maintain compliance and checks and balances and quality control when it's all under the same roof and you have a whole staff and, you know, the roles of each person are kind of siloed into the front desk administrative person, the practitioner to see the patient, the technician to modify, adjust and fabricate the devices. And it's very straightforward. You know, I also think it was more of a traditional company that wasn't necessarily creative or open-minded and and that sort of thing enough to embrace a new a totally new concept in providing patient care in in such a different way so you get the hard no from the established organization did you start stress testing your idea for for you know the sprinter vans taking it out into the field did you ask patients did you start getting some feedback of like am i crazy or is this a good idea and how did that look what did you do there that's the first thing i did good and it was to Not to patients that I knew, but to physicians that had been referring patients that I had enough of a relationship to say, hey, I'm thinking of this idea. What do you think? And uh, the response was consistently, that's a great idea. I would Mm -hmm. send patients to you. Wow. And so you're getting that feedback from them. They're like, great idea. Then you brought it into the home. You start sharing with your wife, like, are we going to do this? Explain that. Because I think I, I think it's important for a lot of us aspiring entrepreneurs uh, to be inspired by uh, leaders like you who have jumped off that cliff. Talk about it from the home life perspective when you brought it to your wife. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I mean, look, I remember that. I remember that period oh, very, I mean, very clearly. As do I. So, you know, leaving every two weeks, you get a paycheck yep. and benefits and all that, that that's a little rough that the aftermath of that, of the uncertainty, what are we going to do now? Some might call it crazy, <laughs> a little crazy, a little panicky, right? <laughs> Moments of that for sure. And I did explore my options. I did yeah. interview and, and meet with different, uh, different companies within the field and even outside the field thinking, ah, maybe I'll do something completely different. But really, it always came back to this is what I love to do. I want to see patients. I want to make prosthetics. I want to be part of their solution. You know, that's the part that is really exciting. I'm not, I'm not ready to give that up. And here's what I'm thinking. I think I could do this and start to run the numbers and start to realize like, huh, you know, this, this wouldn't take that much. Uh, the overhead is very low because it's you're I'm operating out of a, a vehicle, truly. So not having to hire staff and, you know, lease buildings and right. build outs and all those things, it started to feel more and more realistic, beginning to put together projections and business plans and spreadsheets and develop the partnerships that are necessary for contracting and those things. And slowly, maybe it wasn't that slow, but um, it came together to feel right where we could all like my wife and I really specifically (laughs) can begin to picture it. Let's just give it a shot. I turned 40 during that period and it felt like if I'm going to do this, like it's go time. It's now. Yeah. Now's the time to give it a shot and, and try it. So you bring it to your wife on take one. How was the very first time that you brought it to her? Was she receptive? Was she like, Eric, you're crazy. No. How was that? Was she... What was the temperature gauge on the first time you brought it to her? You know what? I, I have to say uh, all along, she felt it was a great idea and it love was, was kind of with me all the way. Yeah. That's awesome. So you're running the model, you're having the conversations, you're doing all the right things as, a, as an aspiring entrepreneur to build your own business. 
And then you jump off the cliff. How did that feel when you went all in? It felt it rode the line or the spectrum between just super exciting and really terrifying, but really, really exciting, especially because it did not take long for it to pick up. You know, month one, it was already basically profitable and, and, you know, soluble. It It was working right out of the gate, meeting with referral sources and physicians that I had worked with in the past that I had enough of a relationship to come to to explain, look, this is what I'm trying to do. If there are patients that you think might be served by this style of practice that are truly having trouble getting around or getting to appointments, um, you know, the physicians themselves are seeing the same kind of thing. No show, no show, no show. They know it's an issue. So, you know, I'm not looking to take over this whole thing, but for the patients that it makes the most sense, you want to give it, let's give this a shot. And that took off, that picked up. So in a moment, we're going to talk about kind of that day-to-day, what's that look like in practice, the organization. Uh, But before we go there, you get the buy-off from your wife, your family. What did the marketplace look like? Did you see competitors out there at the time? What were there other Eric's out there trying to bring this to market? What did the competitive landscape look like? And maybe what does it look like even today? So interesting, the, this field in this market, kind of in this central Colorado, Denver market is saturated. There are actually quite a few providers. It's a small field, you know, so maybe there are four or five companies, four or five practices and, and providers that do this, but that's a lot to serve the population that requires it. So competitive market, but nobody doing, nobody providing mobile services or, or in home. And that's what I wanted to focus on. Sure. What, the competitive landscape in regards to the mobile market, the in home market, what did that look like? Not even just here, but even across the country. Is it was, is that growing? Is, was there anybody else out there doing what you, what you are now doing? There are other mobile prosthetic practices yeah. and they've been around for a long time serving a more rural population. God, it makes sense. So, you know, people having trouble just geographically yep. getting to a brick and mortar facility. And these tend to be, and again, these, these rural kind of markets, my concept is actually, it works, it works great in a, an urban market because you're traveling. Sure. You're, you're on, you're on the road and that's not billable or, you know, super efficient time. But if you're in the city, in a city like this and you're traveling, really it's, it's five miles here, 10 miles there. That's different than spending a day traveling 30 or 40 miles or a hundred miles to go see someone and back. So it can be incredibly efficient, especially because my no-show rate is 0%. And so it's very predictable. So let's dive into it. Let's talk about the model. How does it work? What's in the, I'm, I'm actually, I hopefully, uh, one of these days I can actually see the van itself. Sure. I, would, I would love to, to see what you have in this uh, Sprinter van. But let's talk about the model. Let's talk about how this works. What's in the van. And then also I believe you you have some tech enablement as well, which let's talk about that sure. after you describe kind of the, the, the model of going out into the field, meeting with the patients. Let's, let's uh, unpack that a bit. So, it, you know, it's simpler than you might think. Um, so I have the uh, several mobile units or these sprinter vans that are upfitted with the machinery and the equipment and the supplies in order to see someone start to finish for evaluating, measuring. And then once the device is fabricated, which is not done in the mobile unit, and I should say the patients don't go in the unit either. It's parked outside. Sure. It's a, It's one of the smaller sprinter models, you know, enough to modify, adjust, repair, anything you could do really in a lab that would be on site generally. So seeing the patients in their home, 
understanding their environment. Are there stairs? Are there ramps? Mm. Is there uneven ground that you need to navigate to get to your mailbox or take care of your lawn? Or are you into gardening? Let me check that out. That informs the design of the device. Brilliant. So each of these devices, a prosthetic device is custom made for every single person. And it's based on a variety of factors aside from their height and weight and overall impact level. There are very specific needs and interests. So their specific needs might be the things like in the home, very tight kitchen where you need to navigate, you know, again, stairs, ramps, things like that, but also activities. And so being on site in their home informs me in a way that generally just interviewing or asking questions don't. So that has become a very helpful thing for me. And I think my my game or my my design skills have really improved and really become super, super customized because I'm able to see where they're going to be used. Give me the cliff notes of, of what it takes to outfit a patient with a custom a prosthetic. Are there measurement tools? What does that look like? How does that happen? Sure. I'm fascinated by it. Uh, so once somebody heals from their amputation surgery, you know, the wound has to be completely healed. We're looking at maybe six, eight, 10 weeks after surgery. Um, the surgeon will clear them for weight bearing and prosthetic fitting. So there's no, there's no risk of opening up a wound or infection or whatever. Um, at that point, we will apply a liner, which is usually this kind of silicone sock that rolls over the residual limb. Some people say stump, but it's, it's the residuum or, you know, what's left. Um, so say it's for somebody's leg, you, you roll it over and then begin to take measurements, standard measurements with a tape measure and, and a, oh, wow. a ruler, but then also you're taking a mold. So you're casting them with a fiberglass casting material to create a negative model. And then I go one step further and I take 3D scans. So I have a 3D scanning system that I use. In, in the field, you have a 3D scanner. It, yes, it's a, it's wow. small. It's attached to an iPad, no um, actually. Yes, it's it actually is a Colorado company that makes these devices awesome. And so with that, I'm able to take both anatomical volume measurements, which are very important to kind of monitor over time as the person, atrophy, their leg atrophies and shrinks and changes shape, but also as a 3D modeling tool, which later then we can use for fabrication of what we call the socket. So then we get into the anatomy of the actual device. So the socket is what attaches to this silicone liner that I described. That has to be custom made, right? And so the socket will apply pressure to weight tolerant areas of the body and will relieve areas that are that are not tolerant. Mm. Nerve bundles and you know ligament, cer certain anatomical structures that you can't bear weight on. Um, from that, modular components are attached. So say a knee, a shin section, a foot, those are attached according to that person's weight and activity level and size. So like for a foot, I would just measure your other foot and I would, I would locate a foot that was exactly the same size and the other side though and fit into a shoe. Um, the components themselves are rated on impact. Impact is designated by a system that's established by Medicare, federal government, that categorizes people into low, moderate, or high impact. And that's what begins to kind of distill and inform the design and the component selection. So what happens after that? So you, bring, you, you get all the measurements, you do all of the work you just described. When does the patient receive um, the new prosthetic? So for, for my practice, within three to five days after I'm there measuring, casting, uh, I'll make a prototype. So I have an offsite lab where I fabricate myself the actual prototypes. And they'll wait, bear, stand, walk a little bit in those. 
And uh, if everything looks good, maybe they'll even keep it for a week or so as they try it um, safely in the home or in a physical therapy facility or with a physical therapist in the home. Uh, they'll try that prototype. We'll identify what needs to be modified. Maybe some places need to be trimmed or tightened or whatever. At that point, um, I outsource uh, fabrication for a definitive carbon fiber sockets. Again, I've found another local um, entrepreneur who, who all he does is fabricate based on prototypes. And that's carbon fiber, more definitive, safe, permanent, somewhat permanent device. And that, that takes another I don't know, five to seven days. So once you're ready, we move really fast. The slow part is the, is the, the lead up which is the insurance verification. And, no. Yeah, shocking, right? <laughs> Shocker. Uh, authorizations and pre-authorizations and appeals and things like that. So that yep. takes much longer of course. than the actual fabrication fitting of, you know, section of, of things. But if we can tee that up while they're healing and getting ready, which is really what I try and do, and then once they're physically ready, we move really quickly. In the meantime, keeping them very motivated and interested, and I do a lot of show and tell. Here's what it's going to look like. Let's talk about what questions you have, and let's check out your home, and you know those kinds of things to maintain that motivation and that positive outlook about what's about to happen. And what is the tech enablement part of Agile Orthopedics? Well, utilizing that 3D scanning, okay. and now I'm, I'm kind of dabbling in 3D printing from those modified scans. That begins, for me, that aligns with a mobile practice, a lean practice where you don't need a big lab and a, like a little mini factory that's producing the devices themselves. So the tech that I'm utilizing both on that clinical model, using a lot of scanning and, and printing, and then using an EHR system that is really mobile, where we're able to use it out in the field, communicating with each other. You know, we have a little team of practitioners and then the uh, administrative group too, being able to communicate kind of all day long in real time about certain, you know, situations with patients and then communicating with patients themselves. So really, I found an excellent sort of software to complement the the model. And that that's another part of it that really has helped a lot as I continue to define and, and sort of like uh, master the model itself. So it gets me most excited to spend time with uh, leaders and entrepreneurs like you is the impact of your work in our communities. Can you share with us a few stories of what this has meant to the patients that, that you and Agile Orthopedics serve? Yeah, that's the best part, right? You know, it's like, and I was telling a patient this the other day at the, at their, the fitting, very emotional, very exciting. This is an exciting moment when you put, they are able to put the prosthesis on, they're up first steps. This is their, this is their recovery, right? And, um, it's emotional and it's moving and it never gets old. You know, I have fit thousands of devices at this point and literally never gets old. It is the best part. And, um, it's really exciting. Before you dive into that, I want our listening community to know, I wish you could be in this room right now. You can feel the energy coming from Eric. You can tell that it it fires him up. There is uh, pure authenticity in your joy. That, uh, that that you receive from serving your patients, I can I can sense it right now in this room. It is really cool. So let's dive in. Let's talk about some actual patients. Let's hear some stories. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, again, it really is the best part, and it's it's the whole point. You know, it's like the whole purpose. The, the purpose is the best part, right? So there's there's two guys that come to mind, and it's because I've I've been seeing them over the last few weeks for adjustments and little improvements and upgrades and things like that. So one one guy 
younger guy, late 30s, maybe he's 37, 38, bunch of kids. He was in a motorcycle accident, um, lost his leg above the knee. And we've gotten to know each other really well. And what I learned about him is that before all this happened, before this accident, he was starting his own uh, landscaping company. And I can relate, right? This is like an entrepreneur. This guy wants to just hustle and get out there and, and do his thing. He's got passion for it. Obviously, this put the brakes on that significantly. And he really was looking, oh, man, like, what am I going to do now? Even with the prosthesis, I don't think the way it was emerging, he felt that this was a real option. But slowly, we started to talk about, all right, what kinds of things do you need? If Say you're going back into landscaping. Let's just talk about it. You know, like, what kind of movement do you need? What do you, what would, what kind of environments are you in? Let's like really think about that. And so we're able to select components that allow a lot of, for instance, um, torsion resistance. So let them kind of move and twist and bend and um, shock absorption, carrying heavy loads is a big thing and walking up the ramps into a little trailer he showed me. So we designed that and tweaked it. And finally, he's back in business. So this whole last fall, He's back in business with his son, one of his older sons, and they're around. In fact, he, co- he comes to my house. He did like a, you know, a, a fall cleanup and a couple of my neighbors, and he's out there working, doing his thing, smiling his face. He's back to work. And, uh, you know, I went outside to, to say, oh, thanks so much. It looks great. And he really looked at me and he said, well, thank you, man. Like, you're, you're the one letting me do this. Wow. This is like, I'm back in business. And so, I know he's now bought a second little trailer and has a small crew. He's doing snow removal and he's out there doing, living his dream, what he wants to do, what he wants to build. And I feel like the device is part of that. How's, um, how's, how's his work with the landscape company? Because we, we may be looking as a family for, <laughs> for somebody to come take care of our yard in the spring and maybe we'll connect offline and, and I'll yeah. get his contact info. Uh, he's, he's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. You know, there, there's another guy um, working with who's a, a little bit older, but not, not an old, not, you know, an elder person um, in his 50s or maybe early 60s. I yeah. can't recall his exact age. Um, you know, and he was a little harder up. So on the, um, a homeless guy really. And, uh, I do, I do a lot of work with the homeless. My mo- the model of this mobile practice really aligns well with that population. Um, and going to see them either on site at other appointments, um, or even close to the studio at uh, Salvation Army Crossroads. This is men's shelter, um, that I'll, I'll see patients at all the time. Um, he had a kind of a seasonal job on a Christmas tree lot. I think they do some other things like uh, firewood and fireworks in the summer and things like that. But a seasonal job where he was able to come in, I think he even stayed there a little bit, but was able to make money. Uh, He was in a a car accident, lost his leg below the knee. And uh, we got to talking as we do, you know, you get, I get to know these people real well. So um, he told me about this position and that his boss really could not support him or keep him on while he was uh, injured like this. But that once he got that prosthesis, he's back at it, right? And so, uh, that became our goal. Let's get you back to work before before Christmas because that's really the big season where he could get back there, make some money, you know, kind of continue on this, this employment. This was his goal to be re- employed, very motivated. Um, and so just this last week, we were able to get him up walking again. And I think like even today or tomorrow, he's going to be back on the lot tying oh, Christmas cool. trees to cars. And here's a guy that's trying to get out of trying to kind of elevate and get out of homelessness. And, um, 
This is a part of it. And you're helping him. This is that. a part of it. Yeah. Wow. And I'm sure you have story after story after story, just like these. It never ends. Oh, yeah. So and, and there, it, you know, and it, it could be just somebody who's looking back, looking to get back to just going to the grocery store and shopping and kind of getting back to that independence. And those stories are no less important than somebody who's pursuing a business. Absolutely. Um, it's all about their individual goals, their vision, their dream, how we have a little bit of a piece of that. Well, I could sit here all day with you and, and talk about those stories because those are the ones that fire me up. I love hearing <laughs> when we can empower community members to live their best life. Uh, so very, very encouraging. And, and thank you for sharing that. Let's talk about future state. What does it look like for agile orthopedics moving forward? I know you guys serve a lot of the this area in Colorado and the central region of our of our country, but Fast forward three, five years, where do you, where do you see agile orthopedics? Yeah. It, you know, it's interesting when you start to develop a vision and, and really I can picture these mobile units that are operated by, by entrepreneurial thinking practitioners like me who are up for the challenge. This is sort of harder than being an internal practitioner where someone's handling your paperwork, somebody's handling your technical work. Um, you're just seeing patients. It's kind of, I now, you know, considering my daily routine, it's a pretty cushy kind of thing. So finding people who are up for the hustle and, and so like a franchise model, a franchise if model a would word. be totally. Yeah. So that, that is part of the vision is I can imagine this rolling out nationally throughout the country, identifying individuals who want to have their own practice, kind of forge their own path, um, and connect with people on this really, really personal level, like I'm able to being being in their homes on their terms. So finding people who get it and that want to be part of this movement. Well, on the business side of it all, Eric, we're seeing we're seeing the trend lines out there. We talked about it earlier, right? The the companies like Dispatch Health, Bloom, Pager, others. It's it's happening. Uh, and m- most importantly, the patients that we serve are now expecting and demanding it, right? And so I think you and the Agile Orthopedics are in great shape uh, today and moving into the future, given where the market is shifting. So very exciting to hear about future state for for where you're heading. Of course, keep us posted here. Maybe we'll have a follow-up on the podcast and talk to some of your, sure. your franchisees around the nation. Let's get the community involved. What is one problem, need, or question that you currently have at Agile Orthopedics that you can share with our community that they may be able to help you out with? Yeah, you know, being being a a startup um, practice or business uh, has its has its benefits and it's very exciting and it's you know kind of there's you can be very creative and we're able to be agile and pivot and be very flexible with the model. Um, but considering the consolidation in healthcare, we do have a bit of a challenge with getting contracts and kind of relationships with hospital systems that are interested in working more with larger, more established historical organizations. Um, And so that has been, there have been some roadblocks there, right? To getting contracts and relationships with providers and and systems that uh, don't necessarily understand or are able, we're able to communicate the value uh, that we're adding to this uh, population. And so for us, that's been a bit of a challenge uh, that you know, we're working on overcoming all the time. Well, there are many executive leaders in, in the healthcare industry across the country that listen in and 
And I just uh, ask any of those leaders that have any of those ideas or solutions for Eric and their team to consider uh, solving this problem for Agile Orthopedics. Please take a moment, visit our episode notes. There is a guest feedback form link in there. And I know Eric would love to hear from you. So thank you for sharing that, Eric. Uh, We're going to start wrapping it up here. What are some uh, contact points online for our community to get a hold of you? Uh, best thing would just be the website, agileortho.com, or uh, email eric at agileortho.com would be kind of the simplest way. Excellent. And we'll, of course, leave, uh, leave both of those in the episode notes as well. Great. Um, all right. We're going to take it home. We have a fill in the blank for you. I'm a passionate pioneer because? I believe that amputees remain disabled, not because of a missing limb, but because of a missing prosthesis. Excellent. Thank you for wrapping that up. Very inspiring. And Eric, more importantly, thank you for spending time with us today in the podcast studio and being part of Passionate Pioneers and all the wonderful work that all of our guests are are creating and, and implementing in our communities across the country. We are going to continue to follow your story. Uh, we're incredibly inspired by it. Thank you for all that you do to serve and empower community members across Colorado, this region, and this nation. And, and hopefully in a, across our nation here in the coming years. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Thank you for joining us today on Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. We'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast so we can continue to improve this community and to further support the pioneers being featured. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends and colleagues to join us. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you back with us during our next episode.